Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. You know that our clergy is made up of four people, two who are men and the two of us who are women. And we thought that it might be interesting for you to hear about For those of you who come to Betham all the time, you know that our clergy is made up of four people, two who are men and the two of us who are women. And we thought that it might be interesting for you to hear a bit of a conversation about what it means to be female clergy especially in this week's parasha of the Daughters of Slovchad. One, one of the aspects of the Daughters of Slovchad that's so interesting to us is the fact that A, they are named, which not all women who speak in our tradition are. Sometimes they're named and they don't speak, or they're not named and they do speak. In our, in our oral tradition, in our Talmud, it's a little bit more likely that you would hear a woman's name and have her speak, hear her words. But in our Torah, it's not as likely. When you hear of a woman in our Torah speaking or having some kind of conversation or connection, it's often with God. And we don't often actually know of the words. We just know that the conversation happened. So this is a very rare occurrence in our Torah that we know of these five daughters and we know what they said. And we also know that the law changes because of what they said. Moshe actually says back to them, you're right. The law should be different. You should be able to inherit land no matter your gender. In this case, no matter that you are women and that you don't have a brother or a father for whom the land can go to. So Cantor Chorney and I put together a few um, a few sources. We didn't pass it out because it's not going to be... Uh, a source text type teaching. So we're going to share with you what those sources are. Those of you who are at home, we did send it out in the bulletin so that you could follow along. And the first source is based off of the beginning of this moment of meeting the daughters of Slovchad. And it says in the Torah, let not our father's name be lost to his clan just because he had no son. Right? Our father's name is only going to continue if he has a son in, in the way that the law was before the daughters of Slovchad. We don't want that to be the case. We don't want our father to be forgotten just because there are no male heirs. Give us a holding among our father's kinsmen. And so Rashi, one of our most famous commentators, says, It follows that if, God, if there had been a son, they would have made no claim of any kind. Right? This wouldn't have even happened had there been a son. The daughters wouldn't have even thought to stand up and say, we want the land because they would have assumed based on the laws of our Torah up until this time that, well, we're not going to get anything because we have a brother. So it's not really up to us to speak out. So Rashi, <clears throat> excuse me. So Rashi continues and says, this tells us that they were women of intelligence, right? They knew, oh, we don't have a brother. So now we're going to stand up and we're going to say something because if we don't say anything, then our father's name, our father's inheritance, our father's land just goes away. Nothing happens to it if we don't say anything. 
So I'm going to ask the question, and Kendra Torney is going to answer <laughs> the question. And if there's time, I'll also answer it. Um, but the first question is, um, when was a time that you had to fight for your place in the male clergy world, especially to uphold the idea of clay kodesh, which is, quintess which is the quintessential man's world? I so appreciate that I get to answer questions. Although, to be fair, you did the prep work. Yeah. I, I'll do the heavy lifting and the prep work. So I might answer one or two. We'll see. Okay. We'll see what time we How have. about that? Yeah. Um, so I'm being interviewed. So uh, uh, first of all, I want to say that the way that I read Rashi's comment on the Benot Slochad being, being, being humans of intelligence is something of the sort of, of their realizing that they had a great test case, like they were in a great position to advocate for women's inheritance and for inherited um, property and power because they happened to have no brother. Mm -hmm. And so that, that strikes me as their being intelligent. Mm -hmm. And I would just add to the commentary uh, and also like brave and confident because it's no fun to be pioneer, yeah. um, which I will have more to say on uh, later possibly. And in terms of, uh, you know, a time to, to, that I had to fight in a male clergy's world, you know, in, in the world of access, in the world of... Um, from the through the lens and through the perspective of access to anything in this world, uh, what some people who are in a minority position in most places in their lives, what some people use to describe their interactions with those who are in the majority power is microaggressions. I'm not going to use that word. What I'm going to use to describe what I experience is like a thousand paper cuts along the way. <laughs> And the thousands of paper cuts go something like this. You know, I'm at JTS and uh, an announcement happens at the front of the class that uh, there's somebody in Brooklyn who's willing to teach um, some of our fellow colleagues shlita. Uh, They're willing to teach some, some slaughter, which is rare because we don't, it's definitely not a part of our seminary's curriculum. Right? Rare, rare to do it. And they're even willing to teach some conservative students for right now, the email says that this professor received, for right now, they'd like to take men, maybe later women, but right now they're comfortable taking men. Another email goes out, we're looking for somebody for the high holy days are, you know, we're open to both men and women, but if we're being honest, what we'd really like is a male student this time around. I'm in Jerusalem studying for the first time with other cantorial students and someone says, oh my gosh, you've got to see cantor so-and-so at this great synagogue in the uh, in Jerusalem this weekend. You should all come. We all come. I'm up in the Ezra Nashim in the balcony, and they're all downstairs. And afterwards, when we go to lunch, they say, wasn't it so great how we all got called for Aliyot? Wasn't it wonderful when we went back in for the Kiddush Club, and we got to take these uh, shots, and we got to meet the Rav, and they invited us back, and we should come for the special Shabbat? And I said... I think I heard some of Musaf, you know, between mm -hmm. the, the curtain and the space and the everything. There's just, when, when people uh, ask the question about uh, equal access, what troubles me isn't looking around and seeing that there is not a single senior conservative female rabbi in a pulpit position 
without a duplicative male rabbi at her side in all of Los Angeles, still. Two were recently appointed, and both of them have mm -hmm. female, uh, both of them ha were appointed as co-senior rabbis. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame the system for those appointments because those appointments were uh, artful and wonderful. And I'm super excited for my new young colleagues. Mm -hmm. But what I see is those thousands of paper cuts along the way mm -hmm. where the system, generally speaking, the broader Jewish system is not making space. So when I think about, you know, what's a time when I've had to fight for it, it's not one time. It's the thousand paper cuts along the way where I just can't quite get equal access to that education to boost me. And because I don't have those senior mentors or those yeshiva spaces in the same way, I just can't quite catch up. It's interesting that that was your that that was your response because I feel like mine mine is like the the moments before we even recognize that that my response to this question is that um, when I was studying to become a rabbi, we were asked the question, "What kind of rabbi do you want to be?" Now, uh, unfairly, that question was also asked on our first day of orientation, <laughs> which I just think is hysterical because at that point you're just you're the answer should just be what a rabbi i don't know i don't know i just would like to finish school in 5 years i think i'm not really sure what i want to do but overwhelmingly the women i was in a class of 13 12 women and one male which is very rare and overwhelmingly the women said some form of educational rabbi and the one male said pulpit <clears throat> and none of that actually happened. Well, I shouldn't say none. Most women, including myself, who said some form of education or rabbi, uh, decided to actually go into the pulpit. And I think that the reason I think that, that my answer is like the step before yours is because I think I was actually programmed to think that as a female who happened to have a master's in education, but as a female, I thought that my place in the rabbinic world was actually in a classroom or the head of a school or somehow doing education and not doing what was kind of quintessentially the male clergy role of being on a bima and taking, and taking that stand. Right, and, and to remind people here, in the conservative movement, uh, for both of us, it was somewhere between five and 10 years before each of us was born that, that the movement permitted right, women right. into seminary. <laughs> and then from seminary, you've got them coming into pulpits right. and then making their way through the system. So this is incredibly young. Mm -hmm. The setup for, uh, for us to have role models and to have that model anyway, it, it just there's no infrastructure or scaffolding for us to to then climb on right right so that actually it's a good it's a good jumping off point to this next piece the next piece from the torah says that moses brings their case before god and god says to moses the plea of slovchad's daughters is just they're right we should do what they want. We should make sure that women can get land, even if they don't have a brother or a father, as, as Sophia so beautifully taught us earlier today. So um, a rabbi, who I don't know, but whose words I thought were profound, Rabbi Elise Goldstein, uh, who it seems was born in Canada. I don't know if that's where she still works. She said, even though the daughters of Slovchad petition only for themselves, Moses hears this, and we know it from his response. Moses hears in their protest the voices of other women. 
So as Cantor Chorney actually mentioned earlier, it's not the fact that they were fighting for themselves because they wanted something for them. They were fighting for the fact that this should be for them, but also all generations in the future. Sophia finished her drosh by saying that we hope that women in today's day have more rights than the daughters of Slovchad, and that going forward, there's less of a comparison for us to be making between the daughters of Slovchad and the women of 2022 or 2025 or whatever it will be. Right, that we hope that moving forward, things are actually going in the right direction in terms of women's rights and women's opportunities. So the second question that I asked is that in what elements of clergy life do you feel like you are still fighting for future female clergy? So I think that Rabbi Schatz thinks that I'm going to answer having to do with Talit and, and Kipa and Tefillin. Oh, no, maybe. that was going to be my answer. But I, no. I figured because <laughs> we've been in our ritual committee, we've been talking about uh, what that means to our community and what's the next iteration of our ritual policy around head coverings and Talit and even Tefillin eventually for our community. But I want to take a complete 180 <laughs> from that ritual practice and talk about something different that I feel that I do. Um, that's really for the benefit of future me and future clergy, which is the fight broadly, not specifically here at Temple Beth Alm, although it's included, the fight broadly um, to end the gender pay gap and to end, uh, to end the lack of transparency in salary um, broadly. Mm. There is an enormous pay <clears throat> gap across the country, um, particularly in small communities where rabbis and cantors tend to serve as Cole Bow, uh, when salaries are reported, which is necessary for our organizations like the Rabbinical Assembly and the Cantor's Assembly to assess dues from us, when we report our salaries, which is, requ which is required for our organizations, they're also able to help us understand how much uh, different colleagues make along different demographic lines. And gender is a problem within our specific uh, career paths. And it's also a problem that's mirroring the problem more broadly. Uh, now, I specifically am interested in seeing salary transparency as a solution to that. I know it's not the only solution. I know not everybody agrees with that solution. There are states in this country, including New York, that are doing um, their best to pass legislation that could be supportive of that idea. But uh, one of the things that I do is I accept um, mentees. I, I accept phone calls through a mentor of mine uh, on the East Coast and I accept phone calls for them before they go into negotiation so that we can talk about what these issues mean to us specifically as women um, and what self-advocacy is like in this world. Um, and the last thing I'll say on that is it's particularly difficult for women in this regard when it comes to that negotiation when there isn't transparency because the social expectations, the tension between uh, our feeling that if we are too kind, we will not advocate for what we need. Hmm. And if we are too brash, then we will not be the kind of woman who the community wants to see us to be, that model that you were talking about, the comforting, nurturing mother type of rabbi mm -hmm. who we think they expect us to be or cantor who they think that they expect us to be. Mm -hmm. We are afraid of either extreme and neither of those things really need to come with us into the negotiating room, except that, of course, our whole selves always come with us. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a huge issue. And I know it's not typically the thing that you hear clergy talking about from the Bema, but we need to make sure that our clergy are taking care of themselves so that they can take care of their flocks, wherever they are. It's a part of the whole system, and we've got to model it at every level.
So the last piece here is from the Talmud. Um, it's actually a piece that Sophia also commented on in her drash. Um, and I'm going to let Cantor Chorney answer it first, and then I'm going to answer it by way of giving a blessing to Sophia before we go into Musaf. Mm -hmm. So the Talmud says here in Bava Batra, did I say that right, Sophia? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. The sage is taught. The daughters of Slovchad are wise. They are interpreters of verses and they are righteous. The Gemara proves these assertions that they are wise can be seen from the fact that they spoke in accordance with the moment. They presented their case at an auspicious time. So the question that I want us to end answering is these daughters of Slovchad were considered wise by standing up for something they believed in and in this case, it was based on their gender. But what is something wise that we are adding into this Jewish world, maybe as a female clergy, but also just as clergy in, in Jewish leadership positions? So I wanted to answer this last one with a short story that I thought would be, um, that I thought would be a little bit fun to end on. And I'll, I'll kick it back to you to offer your blessing. Uh, I was we bought a, a new vehicle last year for the first time in like seven or eight years. And we were in conversation. It's like, it's a hybrid and it, it's different than the car we had before, which was like one step above rolling your windows manually. <laughs> and, um, and one of the things that it does that I, I didn't knew, I didn't know before we bought it that it does is that when you are holding the keys or the keys are in your pocket and you approach the front door of the car, uh, the front door automatically unlocks. <laughs> and we were in conversation at a Shabbat dinner and we were with one other couple and the other, uh, happened to be another couple with a, a woman and a man. The other woman at the table, like me, said, oh my God. And the other guy at the table also said, oh, what a cool feature. And we had a moment of gender-based conversation in which I explained <clears throat> that my experience of a door that automatically unlocks is a source of anxiety for me because if I were to ever find myself somewhere where the car is the haven that I'm heading for because I'm in a place where I feel vulnerable, I don't necessarily want my car to choose when it unlocks. I want to choose when it unlocks. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's just a specific instance that I can pinpoint when I feel like my experience of the world is colored by who I am. And it might be the fact that I'm four foot 11. I will chalk it up to, it may have nothing. It, it might be my age. It might be the fact that I grew up in the suburbs and the urban life is still just different for me. But I'll say that I feel that I share this experience after so many times of being in conversation with other women around me. So I think that what I share is a perspective of experiences in the world and stories that I've collected that help me to bring a different lens of empathy to my, uh, to my, lens in the rabbinate and, and cantorate, such that when I'm in conversation about anything, like something as mundane as the hours when we're having Sikun Lel Shavuot, I can, I can uh, bring a lens of, um, of uh, understanding and being able to get into somebody else's emotional shoe. So, Sophia, I'm going to answer this question by way of giving you a blessing. M my answer to this question is that I find it extremely special that I can be a female rabbi who gets to do female bat mitzvahs. And I love doing bar mitzvahs. The, the, the life cycle of b'nai mitzvah is very special. But there's something very unique, especially in this community, where if I'm doing a bat mitzvah, it's all females on this bima. 
right? You have Kendra Chorney, you have me, and today it's you. There's something really special about being able to say that you are surrounded, just like you shared in your drash, by strong women who are not only strong women in your life on an everyday basis, but also in your Judaism. And even when I was growing up, and I'm not that much older than you, but even when I was growing up, that wasn't the case. I wasn't surrounded by Jewish female leaders who I could look up to, to decide how I wanted to be a Jewish female in my life. Rabbi Shapiro, who's sitting over there, shared with me something that I had never thought of before, and he claimed he also had never thought of before. So together we learned something, that the daughters of Slovchad speak, and that that's what we, we just spent, you know, 20 minutes talking about that here, and you also spoke about it in your drash. They speak, and it's profound. But then we never hear from them again. And there's something very interesting about upholding the moment that they speak, as opposed to questioning why don't they continue to speak. And so my blessing for you, because you are surrounded by such strong women and just such strong family in, gener in general, no matter the gender, that you continue to find moments to speak, that you don't just find one. That you continue to find these moments of strength, that you continue to uphold yourself in the values that you hold dear, and that you, as your mom said, continue to just be you, you are so unique with such a beautiful voice. We haven't even mentioned that yet today. With such a beautiful voice, you bring so much of yourself to this table. And sometimes when we're surrounded by tight community and tight family, it's hard to show exactly who we are because there are little pieces of everybody else who sometimes cloud that. But you don't let that happen. You use it for good. You, you use it as a moment for you to stand upon and be stronger. So I hope, unlike the daughters of Slovchad, that you take these moments to stand up and to share your voice and to share your thoughts and to share how things can change. And you continue to do it over and over and over again. And the last thing I want to say is that was also the talit that I received on my bat mitzvah. And one of the most interesting parts of that talit and special parts of that talit is that the four corners of the talit each have a name of a matriarch. So you have Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. And so anytime you wear that talit, even though you didn't know our matriarchs, I hope you're able to think about the daughters of Slovchad. You're able to think about the women who surround you in your life. And you're able to think about every single woman who came before you that's going to uphold you and let you have these continued moments of strength. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.